0: One more time, anybody excited to be in church at the 5 p.m. service? I, f- I felt like those keys were kind of making me emotional, you know, like during the offering moment, like, like when, when Brian Brink's playing, it's like epic, you know, I was almost crying. Uh, just so we're going to relax. We're going to just switch gears just for a second. We are ending the series, Big Days and Bad Days. We started just a few weeks ago and Pastor Rob talked about the biggest day of all time, which is the day you give your life to Jesus, the big day called salvation. You, you step into relationship with Jesus and immediately your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven, wiped away, wiped clean. Immediately you have eternity forever in heaven. It's an amazing thing. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how you were raised, no matter what your knowledge is about Jesus or the church, no matter your church attendance or how many life groups you lead, no matter any of that, when you step into relationship with Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, it is the biggest day of all time. The old is gone and the new has come. And at the end of this service, if, if there's anybody here, you've never made that decision before. I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to make that decision to step into relationship with Jesus. And, and it's awesome. We talked about the big day of salvation. We talked about also some bad days, uh, bad day of depression. And PTSD and anxiety and fear and worry that runs rampant in our culture, in young people. I heard a stat uh, a while back that the stress that the average person uh, in their 20s faces today is the same amount of stress and anxiety as somebody that was in a psych ward in 1950. Isn't that crazy? Like the what we carry, and how do we walk through this life when we're going through depression or anxiety? How do we how do we navigate this life? And so we talk about what the Bible and what God has to say about that. We talk about um, the bad day of death, and everybody in here. Everybody in here has had a loved one or somebody close to them, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor uh, that has died and you've, and you've faced that grief and at, at different levels, different proximities. Uh, but, but we talked about death is imminent. We will all die uh, one day. And how do we walk through this life facing that type of grief and facing that, that type of just overwhelming pain. How do we get through? And I just believe that Psalm 23 says that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because the Lord God is with us. And when we're walking through the valley, sometimes the best thing to do is just to keep walking and keep moving forward. You're going to make it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's life at the end of the tunnel. I believe that today we're going to end the series with a big day, which is actually uh, multiple big days uh, and, and also some bad days within there. Uh, but hopefully it's more big than bad. And it's the, the big days of marriage and walking through this life, getting married. And so can we just, uh, by a show of hands, who in the room is married? Raise your hand. Come on, come on, come on. Give it up for the married people in the room. Some good golf claps for eternal commitments. It's amazing. amazing. Do we, uh, do we agree with marriage? I love marriage. The married people are like, yeah, let's do this. Um, okay. So everybody else, uh, raise, raise your hand. If, uh, you would one day like to be married, raise your hand. You would like, I want to be married. You keep your hands up. Just look around, get a good look. Is church not the best place to find your spouse? Let them know. I found my wife in church. So today's message, we're talking about marriage. And the goal, the goal, we're going to have some fun tonight. This will be awesome. Be here for three hours. Uh, the goal of tonight's message is that, that for anybody that's married, uh, it encourages you and helps you be the best spouse that you can be. Um, and maybe, maybe you've heard some of this stuff uh, for a long time, but tonight God speaks something fresh Uh, to you. And maybe, maybe it's something practically that you could change or that you could do better or you could work on that helps you the best husband, the best wife. And for all the people that raise their hand, uh, that are hoping to one day get married. I just believe that today's message is going to help you build a foundation as you find your spouse, uh, to have the best marriage possible. Marriage is the best Sam Thompson's with me. Marriage is the best. So, I, so I've been married for six and a half years uh, to my wife, Kaylee. Give it up for my wife. She's right here. We're having a baby in three weeks. This would be awesome. And uh, in, in the last six and a half years, we got a long way to go because uh, I'm trying to be married forever. So uh, I'm serious. And, uh, but in the last six and a half years, we've had some awesome days, awesome days in marriage. And, um, uh, the, our wedding day was that first day. It was our first day of marriage it was am- amazing. Uh, it, it felt, it felt like, um, we were celebrities and it's a weird feeling. If you're married, you know, the feeling like where all your friends and family are there for you. What a weird environment that everybody showed up for you. It's a crazy feeling, but you feel loved and supported and everybody brings gifts. Like this is the greatest thing of all time. It's awesome. Um, and and we've had other big days of finding out that Kaylee was pregnant with our first daughter. Um, Adley is amazing. Big day. Find out that she's a girl. It's going to be awesome. We've had big days of buying a house. Like these big days are awesome. When, When we got married, the I I was just excited that we were going to get to have a sleepover every night. Like it was just like awesome. Like I can't, I I couldn't wait to get married just so that we could like on a Tuesday night, if we want, we can just watch a movie on the couch, fall asleep whenever we want. Like it was sleepover every night. Am I the only one? Come on. Marriage is so cool. It's amazing. Uh, the big, so we've had big days. And uh, every marriage, you guys have had big days. Uh, but we've, all, we've also had some bad days within marriage. We've also had some challenges. And uh, I remember the, it, within the first year of marriage, getting a phone call in the middle of the night from Kaylee's mom that her dad, so Kaylee's grandpa, uh, was on his deathbed and at any moment going to pass away, like in the middle of the night. And, and I'm a new husband, and she's sobbing, saying her last words to her grandpa, who's non-responsive, but they believe he can hear. And so she's saying goodbye in this moment. And how am I supposed to be a husband? Like what, what words am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to comfort? It's, it's a challenging bad day. We've had other bad days of when we had Adley, our first daughter, um, for, for six months, my wife battled postpartum depression. And so she was not herself for a long time and feeling, crazy. And, and we thought for those six months, like, I'm, I'm not sure actually for like cut out f- to be parents. This is, this is h- way harder. I mean, everybody else is like on Instagram, like, oh, parenthood's the best hood. It's awesome. <laughs> and we were like, this is, this is this is like the worst, like we're like thank God for our daughter, but this is so difficult, um and it just was overwhelming. Those are some challenging, bad days again, that sounds like i don 't love my daughter she 's awesome uh, we we've, we've had bad days of getting pregnant the second time, and then uh a few weeks later finding out that we miscarried and walking through the bad days of miscarriage and losing a child and um there's nothing there's n- nothing close to experiencing. Uh, death within your family like that, where you are, you've already told your family and you've told friends and people know, and, and now you got to tell everybody that's not happening. And we lost it, lost a kid. We've had big days and we've had bad days. And it's just, it's just crazy. Um, and every marriage, every relationship, you're going to have big days. And you're going to have challenging days. So I, I'd love to just encourage, uh, over the next few moments, just how we can best set our lives um, and our marriages, our relationships up for a win, up for a win, no matter you're going through big days, no matter you're going through bad days, uh, set us up for a win. so if you have your Bibles, we're going to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17. And before we read it, as you're, as you're finding it, um, just to start it off, God created marriage. God created marriage. And we're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about the first marriage, Adam and Eve, um, and wh- how God intended it before sin entered this world. Um, and God intended marriage to be a light to this world, to show the world what an unconditional love looks like. And that's why, again, marriage is a relationship like none other, that God created and he intended it to be a light. So Hebrews chapter 12, here we go. Working... Uh, work. I'm just going to start over. Wow. Everybody feel good? (laughs) Having fun? Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Trading away God's lifelong gift... In order to satisfy a short term appetite, you well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. By then, it was too late tears or no tears. We're gonna talk about, if you weren't raised in church or haven't heard that story, we're gonna talk about Jacob and Esau and that story and what is the Esau syndrome. And if you're taking notes, the title of tonight's message is Watch Out for the Esau Syndrome. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Let's pray. And we're jumping in. Jesus, we thank you again that you're right in the room. And beyond anything else, I just pray that people would sense your presence, your love, that you are for them, you're with them, you're walking through this life with them, and you've got a way forward through this life. That, that doesn't, it's not a binding uh, way to live. It's not just rules and regulation, but it's a way to live, a specific way to live that you designed for us to be all that you've created us to be. And it leads us to greater freedom. It leads us to greater joy. It leads us to greater peace in our lives. And it helps us to accomplish all that you've created to us to accomplish. Speak to us today, each and every person. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. The culture that we live in today uh, will say this a lot. Live live your truth. Anybody heard that before? Just l- find your truth and live that. Anybody heard that? I'm the only person? Okay. <laughs> F- feel good about whatever you do. Just if, as long as you feel good about it, live that way. Just if you feel good, it's all good. If you feel good, just yep, let's do it. This is where we live. find your truth, whatever your truth is, if you feel good, let's do it. Um, I, 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 I felt this way growing up as a kid all the time, that like, I know I shouldn't do something, but then I do it. Anybody have that feeling before? Like think about when you're a kid, like, I know I shouldn't do this. I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm in. anybody am I alone? Like, like I have these, I I have tons of stories. I I shared one a year ago, uh, about me, uh, practicing some golf in the backyard. And, uh, and I graduated out of the wiffle ball golf balls and, uh, and was like, let's do, we're going to do the real golf balls. And, uh, and yeah, I've grown like you got dreams of going to the masters, all that. So just practicing the flop shot and, uh, any golfers in the room? Great. Four. One guy, one guy back there was like, yeah, well, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this really apply to everybody in the room. No, I was in the backyard and, and in the back, I was swinging the first golf ball, real golf on the back in the back swing, I know I, I had this feeling I, I shouldn't do this. And then I swang with everything that I had in me. And, uh, a flap shot, you open up the club face, just to get a little bit more technical, open up the club face, and you swing as hard as you can, and it's going to go straight up and straight down. I just cut the ball in half, goes straight through our neighbor's window. I knew I shouldn't have done it, and now I'm dead. This is crazy. This happened to me all the time. Another story it happened in the backyard. Everything bad happened in the backyard. Also involves a window. So we had apple trees in our backyard, and I had two brothers, and uh, we would pick the apples. And instead of eating them, we would take tennis rackets and launch them. It was awesome. And uh, we had a hill over our backyard. Beyond that hill was more neighborhood and more houses. And we would launch apples. Like, the first one, I, we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing this. But, but we just, let's just do one. Let's just do one. Anybody had that feeling? Like, like, come on, let's just do one. And they would go so far, like so far, like like I kind of want to try it again, just not at houses, because these things, like a tennis racket, can launch an apple so far, and uh, and so we, we we couldn't stop at one; we just kept going and just hitting all the apples off of our trees, over and and uh, finally the police show up and say, uh, "Hey, is anybody hitting apples?" And it was us, and uh, apple went through neighbor's window. So this was my life, living this life of, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. And I I, I thought I had graduated. I thought I, as I've matured, when I was thinking about this message, I thought, man, I'm really glad that that's not my life anymore. I'm not hitting apples over hills and getting in trouble with the law. Like, I'm so glad that I've matured beyond that. But when I thought about it a little bit deeper, um, I thought... I don't know if I actually have, like there's, there's plenty of things that I know, like I know who I should be. I know what I should do yet. And I really want to be that type of person. And I really want uh, a good example is I want to eat healthy. I want to work out and I want to, I want to look great tucking in my shirt, but it's not, I'm not there yet. And so my shirt's (laughs) untucked. Follow me in this journey. So I want to be this type of person, yet three or four or seven times a week, Taco Bell sounds so good. Anybody with me? Yeah. Like, Taco Bell run, like, like I've, I, this is the fourth service I preach, and uh, I'm not going very fast, because it's just, I, but I've said Taco Bell probably 50 times, and I'm ready to do this thing. So we might do a whole campus Taco Bell night after this service, I'm in, but it's not the type of person I want to be. I I want to eat healthy and I want to live right. But I find myself constantly thinking about ice cream or thinking about Taco Bell and doing the, the, the exact opposite. We live in a world that says feeling good is the highest good. And so if you feel good, it's all good. And we need to actually counterbalance that because since the beginning of time, Adam and Eve in the garden, that living on your feelings instead of listening to God gets us into trouble. The first point tonight is you, is this, you can't always live how you want to live and still have what God wants you to have. You can't always just do what you want to do and have everything that God wants to pour out in your life. You can't just make the decisions based off of your feelings that oppose God's word or what he's speaking to you and expect to be the man or woman of God that he's created you to be in the context of marriage or relationship. You can't just as a husband, I can't just do whatever I want to do and expect us to then just have this awesome uh, world-changing kingdom relationship, great impacting, long legacy, whatever. I can't just live how I want to live and expect God to pour out everything that he has for me to pour out because I'm living oftentimes based off of my feelings and it's in disobedience of what God's telling me to do. So I'll prove this in, in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, and this is the first marriage. Verse fifteen, and I'll end at twenty five. Says the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, And before we go into where they screwed it all up, um, the fall of man and the first sin, um, I, I do want to talk about before sin entered the world, this is how God created marriage. He created man, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We're going we're gonna to get married. The Bible also says later, Paul actually says, just in case you're wondering, that it, Paul said, I can actually be more effective for the kingdom if I stay single. But if you can't handle your passion, you might as well get married. So both, if you're single and that's what God's called you to do, amazing. Praise God. You can be super effective for the kingdom. But if God's called you to be married, that's amazing too. And marriage is awesome. But in this moment, this shows us how God created marriage to be and how a husband and wife should interact with each other, how they should treat each other and view each other. It says that he he got a perfect helper, a suitable helper to help Adam. That word suitable, I think when we hear suitable helper, uh, a lot of times, uh, and I've heard this in church growing up, that that it's like she's second in command, or she's lesser than the man, the man's in charge, and and she's going to be the servant to me. And maybe you've heard that before, but this is how God actually designed it. The word suitable literally means as in front of, or equal to, as in front of. So somebody that's going to come alongside as an equal. And I love that he took a bone of the rib, not from the head that she would rule over or from the foot that he would trample over her, but from the side, that she could be an equal force in this relationship. It's an amazing thing. The word helper, so suitable as in front of the word helper. I'm not much of an intellectual, but I found this out this week uh, in doing research is the word in the original language called ezer, E-Z-E-R. And that word helper or ezer is referenced 21 times in the Old Testament. Three of those times were referencing other nations' military forces that were stronger than Israel that would come to Israel's help. I'll say it again. The suitable helper that God brought into Adam's life was the same word that God used in the Old Testament for other nations that had stronger military force that came to Israel's aid. I like looking at my wife through that lens, that she, in a lot of ways, is stronger than myself, and she makes me better, and I'm so glad that God put her on my team. It's an amazing thing. The other times that it's used in the Old Testament is referring to God himself, who is the helper in our times of trouble. And so I look at my wife through that lens, that she hears from God just as much as I do, and that she's a perfect as in front of me, and in a lot of ways, she's stronger than I am, and she makes makes me better. And that's how we should view our spouse. That's how we should view our husbands. That's how we should view our wives is they make us better and in a lot of ways they're stronger and they hear from God just as we do. Then sin enters the world. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Praise God. Then sin enters the world. Genesis chapter 3. Here we go. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And in that moment, in that phrase, the devil has now exaggerated what God said in their life. Did he really tell you you can't eat of any tree in the garden? What a crazy exaggeration. And she says, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely, you will not surely die. He says the exact opposite. For God knows when that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes were of a both were open and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. When, when you are facing temptation in this life, in living the wrong way, the devil will exaggerate what God has spoken to you. He will say the exact opposite of what God's spoken to you. If that doesn't get you, he will put the thing in front of you that you should not do, should not look at, should not go, people you should not hang out with, and he will try to get you to view it as desirable. I desire that more than I desire doing what God's asked me to do. And In that moment, the Bible earlier said that they were naked and unashamed, and now, because of sin, they are naked, and they're covering up. Shame and guilt has crept in, and what's crazy is when you not when you're not living for Jesus long enough, and you you ignore the voice of God long enough, you will actually. The Bible says that that you will begin to glory in your shame, which is a desensitization desensitization of, of God's voice in your life and healthy conviction. And and we can't just blow past that. So the first point tonight is you can't just live how you want to live and get all that God wants to pour out in your life. God's desire was that they lived in the garden and that they live this amazing walk in the garden with God every day. And they have dominion. It's an amazing thing. But because of this one sin, it sends this trickle effect that caused God, the father to have to send his son, Jesus to die for all humanity so that we could then be restored in a relationship with him. It's a, it's a crazy story. They probably weren't thinking in that moment that it had that much gratitude, but it did. Here's the second point tonight is that there will always be forbidden fruit. Just like in the garden, there was a forbidden tree, a forbidden fruit that they could not eat, and there will, in this life, always be forbidden fruit. When you're single, and you're dating, you're engaged, there's things you should not do. There's things that God says, hey, not now. There's stuff you want to do, I want to do it right now, and God says, not yet, later. There's things you want to do, and God says, nope, not ever. When you're married, there's things, as a husband, I already said it, I can't do, I can't look at, I can't go, I can't be around, whatever. But do, what, do I want what God has for me? Or do I want to live based off of my feelings and, and wh- however the day went and whatever? There's things that we want now. And here's, here's Levi Lasco says this, now will always be louder, but later lasts longer. Now will always be louder. Let's do this now, but later lasts longer. this, this message is entitled watch out for the Esau syndrome and, uh, even talked about that story. And so we're going to end talking about that story in Genesis chapter five, there's these two brothers and it's Jacob and Esau. And if you grew up in church, you've, you've heard this phrase, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. Yet, in this story, these twin brothers, Esau is the firstborn. The Bible says that Esau is the firstborn. Describes him as a hairy guy, too. He's got red hair. I don't know why they give that detail. It's kind of nice to know. Uh, He's an outdoorsman, hunter, a lot like myself. And um, I've said that in every service, and after, I just feel like, why did I say that? Because it's a dumb joke, and people are laughing at me. Esau, he was probably wearing Adidas track pants, just like me, outdoors. And, um, but then his younger brother, Jacob, came along, younger brother. And he was more of an indoorsy type guy who loved uh, cooking. He, and it gives that detail. I think it's awesome. It's real nice. That He's an indoors guy, loves cooking. He's the younger. Uh, and in this moment, this story that we're about to read, Genesis chapter 25, tells you what the Esau syndrome is that we need to watch out for. And we'll read it here. Verses 29 through 34. It says, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, see, I said he liked cooking, Esau came in from the field. He liked hunting. And he, he was exhausted. He was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me come eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Now will always be louder, but later last longer. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me jacob said swear to me now give me your birthright so he swore to him and sold his birthright to jacob then jacob gave esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way thus esau despised his birthright and uh you might be hearing that story and you just go what's the big deal he sold his birthright who cares he's he got to, he got what he wanted, birthright, just a couple words, not even a big deal. In that moment, selling his birthright, what does it actually mean? Here's what it means: it means he sold, uh, he, he cut his inheritance in half. He he had his grandfather, Abraham, who was one of the richest men on the planet, had all the, the cattle and the livestock you could imagine. Had t- the Bible says he had tons of gold and silver. Isaac grew that business, and, and now Esau, who is the oldest, who has the birthright, he would get if there's brothers, he would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother would get one-third. In that moment, over a cup of soup, he cut his inheritance in half. But not only that, he, he lost half of his inheritance, but he also lost his leadership role. The, when the father would die, the oldest son would become the new CEO of the business, the, fa- the family business, and run it. And he lost that leadership role. Jacob would take it over. The third thing, and later in their lives, we find out that, that Esau loses the spiritual blessing as well from his father. And in in that moment the, we, what the, the implications of that, over a cup of soup, over, a, over nothing, he loses the right to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau and he gives it up over a cup of soup. And now it's got the God of the, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Jesus, the Messiah that would come save humanity from their sins and that would offer forgiveness. The, the Jesus that was promised uh, over prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, who came, came from the lineage of Jacob. Sometimes we live our lives thinking, "Ah, oh, it's not even a big deal. Who cares? Nobody knows about it. It's all this. But we don't think of the generational impact that it could have on our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren god has a way for you to live your life and jacob got to have the messiah come out from his blood instead of esau's it's a crazy thing it's not a big deal it's a huge deal it's a huge deal let's not trade our calling over a cup of soup let's not trade eternity over what's instant and i could do in 30 seconds what i would regret for decades I could go do for 30 seconds what I would regret for decades. In 30 seconds, I could ruin my ministry. I could ruin my marriage. I could lose the respect of my children, all that stuff. By the way, God is a redeeming God. If you've lived a life that is contrary to the word of God and you've been running from God, God is the great redeemer and he can bring you back from all of it. He's got greater things in store for you and he can breathe life into the dead things that you've done or that have happened to you. God is the great redeemer. So don't don't sit here and think, oh man, I've really screwed up my life. Think, God, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. But I could do in 30 seconds what ruins my marriage. Let's not trade a cup of soup for our calling. The third point is this, and we're gonna get ready to close, is forbidden fruit never satisfies. Never satisfies. What's crazy is that the fruit that Adam and Eve ate for sure didn't satisfy. They got kicked out of the garden. And they brought on themselves and the rest of humanity until Jesus came, a curse that was broken by Jesus. Didn't think it was a big deal. And Jacob and Esau, the same thing. He traded just this thing. And, and he ate the soup and was filled, but an hour later, three hours later, was hungry again. It doesn't satisfy. And this is what I believe, because the word of God says it, that God set in the hearts of man, eternity. It means we live this life, whether we know God or not, searching to fill this void in our life, this hole in our life called eternity. What on earth am I here for? There must be something greater than this. There has to be something bigger than this. And you can ignore that for a long time, but God put that in you so that you could find him, so that you could search out and Jesus can reveal himself to you. But nothing else on this planet satisfies other than Jesus. And forbidden fruit it'll always be there in your life no matter where you go no matter who you decide to be the decisions you make there will always be forbidden fruit that you can't touch and it's at what's at stake is your calling what's at stake is your children what's at stake is the effectiveness on this planet earth let's not live our lives as loose and be led by our stomachs and what i mean by that is not just food it's it's with our feelings let's not just be led on how we feel what an immature way but the only way to do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you and he helps you live this powerful life. The the Bible talks about this word sanctification. It's a churchy word, but it's it's the, the, to break it down as simply as possible because I need this t- to I need to know it simply. Uh, otherwise, I just don't understand it. I've heard the word my whole life. Sanctification is this: it's the process of becoming perfect. It's the process of becoming holy. The day of salvation is not that moment. You're not perfect. You'll continue to make mistakes. You'll continue to sin, but you now the the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and He begins a sanctifying work in your life, which means you start to. Have have a greater desire to do what God wants you to do. And you will start to have a lesser desire to do what the enemy who wants to destroy your life wants you to do. The sanctification process is a lifelong journey. And I want to, as we get ready to close one, we can't just live our lives. And also just based on how we feel and also receive all that God has for us Two there will always be forbidden fruit. And three, the forbidden fruit never satisfies. So let's watch out for the Esau syndrome. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? And there's people in this room, I just believe that uh, maybe you're dating or maybe you're engaged or maybe you're married and God is speaking to you some new things of of what you can tweak or what you can change so that you can be the couple that God's created you to be. To be who he's created you to be individually. And I'm just praying that God would speak to people. Who have you called us to be? Let's be people, not of convenience, but of conviction. Let's be people not living on feelings, but living by faith. I I also believe there's people here, and you've never given your life to Jesus. And a message, joking about Taco Bell, and talking about eating fruit, and message. Maybe you've never heard any of these stories before, but for some reason you feel drawn. God's speaking to you on the inside. This is for you. This is your moment to step in a relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that we've all sinned and all fallen short of God's glory. We've separated ourselves because of our sin from God and God sent his son, Jesus. We've already talked about it from heaven to earth and Jesus lived the life we could never live. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And if you're here and you want to step into a relationship with Jesus, you want God to forgive you of your sin, past, present, and future. You want that that security that when you die, you're going to heaven for eternity where there's no more pain, there's no more worry, there's no more anxiety, there's no more death, there's no more fear. If you want to step into that relationship you want to become all that God's created you to be, you want to start the the process of, of becoming like Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you this moment, this opportunity. If you're here, this is the greatest decision you could ever make. It's the biggest decision, the biggest day of your life, stepping into this relationship, believing that Jesus is the Lord of your life. If you're here, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, would you lift your hand in the air as a sign declaring, today's my day, giving my life, life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and, and you... You were raised in the church. You've known this for a long time, but you've been running from God. That's my story. I was raised in the church and I did my own thing, a lot of my own thing through high school. And doing my own thing, going my own way, living based on my feelings, got me in handcuffs more than once. I was bulimic for a year. I went through depression. I know all the relationships that I ruined because of the way that I lived. And God rescued me when I was 18 years old. I rededicated my life to Him. If you're here and you'd like to step into a relationship with Jesus, again, saying, I've been running. I know this is true for me. I'm stepping back into it. This is your moment. When I say three, would you lift your hand in the air? You can put it right back down. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I won't call you forward. But we're just going to pray a prayer as a church family, all together, stepping into this relationship. One, Jesus said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Two, when you make this decision, you're a brand new creation. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. If you're ready for something new in your life, you already know it's you all over this place. Three, today's your day. Giving your life to Jesus. You can slip your hand up and put it right back down. Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else today making that decision? We've got a bunch of people in this service. Amazing. Anybody else? Church, let's all pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short. Please forgive me. Today I receive your gift, the free gift of salvation. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say amen. Amen. Church, let's stand up and let's celebrate those that are giving their lives to Jesus tonight. Come on. Make some noise.